2: Hey, monsters, ghouls, ghosts, witches, and goblins. Happy Hollows Eve. We couldn't think of a better return guest to sit in with us today than lead vocalist and songwriter Spencer Charnis from the Boston, Massachusetts theatrical metal band Ice Nine Kills. Together, we break down the writing, recording, and inspiration behind the smash hit, Hip to be Scared, taken from their 2021 album, The Silver Scream 2. Welcome to Horrorwood. I said it last time. But when it comes to horror movies and horror movie knowledge, Spencer is the real deal. Hip To Be Scared is based around the movie American Psycho. There is an insane amount of movie references, along with self-deprecating humor, and a musical interlude nod to Huey Lewis, complete with a 1980s sounding drum machine and synthesizers. Producer Drew Falk returns this time, after having last helmed the band's previous release, The Silver Scream. He absolutely kills it again here on production. Oh, And it doesn't hurt that everyone in Ice Nine Kills are insanely incredible musicians. Add in a guest vocal featuring Jacoby from Papa Roach, and you get one banger of a track. I'm not sure they could have crammed anything else into these three minutes and 23 seconds. So sit back, relax, and know that it's hip to be scared.
3: Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? makes a podcast.
2: Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a
3: podcast.
2: Spencer, what's going on?
4: Great to be back with you, man. After the last time, I've been jonesing for another fix. (laughs) Well, uh, for
2: those that listened to the episode with you prior when we talked about the American Nightmare, you're a fan of the show, which makes it very easy for me. You want to be here. You want to be here talking to me. That's awesome.
4: I want to be here so badly, and uh, it's just great to be (laughs) back again. I mean, the last episode was awesome, and it's cool because when we were doing the last show, we had this hip-to-be-scared song in the can, and I was so excited. Yes. I, I remember telling you guys about it, I think, after the episode, and we actually talked about, hey, maybe we'll do another show, and that could be the song. So I'm glad we're, we're here. It's all come to fruition.
2: When you told me that at the time, and I remember thinking, and this sounds kind of <laughs> kind of crappy of me to say, but after The American Nightmare, everything that is in that song how grandiose and epic it is. And you're and you're talking to me now about your new single, but the new one coming out, Hip to Be Scared. This is a couple of years ago now. I'm thinking, how could he top this song? How could it get bigger? How could it get quirkier? How could it get
4: crazier? And you did it with this track, man. Hip to be scared is awesome. I really appreciate that, man. I really do. Thank you.
2: Yeah, you know, and and the fact that you're sitting here, you carved out time. You know, you're you're hanging out with Metallica and Pantera these days, dude. <laughs>
4: It's been quite a (laughs) quite a wild experience playing with those guys, and they are—I have to say—they are so nice to us, and are really showing us how we need to treat bands that that open for us. Because they kind of, you know, they came up and and Ozzy took them on tour, and from what I understand, Ozzy treated them really well, and then Metallica, you know, took took that torch, and then would take out bands like Corn, and we've heard that Corn treats the bands that open for them really well. So it's a whole sort of passing of the torch, and and they're really showing us how to be nice to the bands that that you bring up. And it's been a great experience thus far. That is, is so
2: cool to hear. You know, that band, they're the Rolling Stones of our generation. And, you know, I, it's be like, you know, in the 80s, you know, some some band, the Black Crows, getting getting to open up at the stadium for Rolling Stones. And, and you're doing that, you know, like my band got to, to be on a festival with Metallica about 20 years ago, Download Festival, not on the same stage, but you're on the same bill, like you're playing with the band and the fact that they're treating you great is awesome. I probably said this last time we spoke, Spencer, but I feel like your band could play with so many different bands and so many different genres and, and somehow you'd fit in
4: well I really appreciate that I think that we have so many influences all across the board obviously from punk and ska uh, to metal and musical theater so and comedy that's, that's a big thing that I think really plays a part of of this particular track Hip To Be Scared so hopefully there's uh, there's something in there for, for most people to to grab onto. Um, and actually, you know, when we did the show at SoFi, we had a uh, real big fish, uh, horn section come out and we asked less than Jake's horn section to come out as well. Cause we thought it'd be cool to have RBF and less than Jake, but the boys couldn't do it. Cause you guys were on tour. Shame on you. I know they, they were
2: bummed. Let me tell you to be able to go out in front of, in front of that crowd. And I, I got to ask you, how was uh, Metallica's crowd? Were they receptive to you guys?
4: We had heard a lot of, now I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say horror stories, but traditionally, historically, we've been told it's, ho- it's, it's not an easy band open for, you know? Because if you're a Metallica fan, you are a Metallica fan and you're there to see <laughs> them and you might cross your arms. And I remember hearing something about like Avenged Sevenfold open for them and like Mexico, and, like the whole audience. I think M. Shadow said the whole audience like turned their back and gave them the middle fingers. So we were a little bit scared. But honestly, sure. for the most part, the shows have been great. Uh, the, the the crowd has been, uh, seems to be very receptive. We're selling a lot of merch. And uh, we've been hearing people come to our headlining gigs, which we have a lot of headlining gigs in between the stadium shows with them, that they heard of us because we were on tour with Metallica. So I think just even just being on that poster that ad mat alone has been a game changer for us. So many people hearing about the band and when Lars was on Stern. I, I was told by uh, my dad, hey, you know, Lars is on Stern going to announce the tour. I was thinking, oh, my God, is Howard going to maybe say our band name? And I was crossing my fingers that he didn't screw it up and say Einstein Kills or something like that. <laughs> and uh, Howard said the band name right, and that was a big moment for me, too, just because I'm I'm such a Stern fan and have been since I was a little kid. The whole experience has been absolutely surreal. I saw Metallica with my dad in, you know, 90, 1996 at the, in the Boston Garden. And I remember that show so vividly and just always been a huge fan, you know, one of the the go-to bands when I would pick up a guitar, you know, I'd go start playing One or Enter Sandman or Nothing Else Matters. So to be asked by them to join them on their world tour, it's just like, I I can't even put it into words how appreciative I am to them. Well, that is so cool. A couple more things before we jump into this
2: bad boy, because there's a lot of stuff here. This song is is intense. Uh, I got to ask, The Silver Screen came out in 2018, and the follow-up, uh, Silver Scream 2, came out in 2021. Did you know at the time that you were writing The Silver Scream that you were going to do a part two? And were any of those songs written during the same time period?
4: No. The Silver Scream 1 was really another experiment for us. Before that album, we had done a record called Every Trick in the Book where the concept was we wrote about different books although you know none of us can actually read we did write songs about books <laughs> and we were kind of during the writing process of Silver Scream 1 if we had to say oh man we don't have we don't have enough room on the album to fit a song about American Psycho even though that's you know always been one of my favorite horror films we said oh well if this album goes well Let's, you know, we'll save it for part two. So I think we kind of approached it like almost a movie studio or a director or screen, uh, screenwriter would approach a project. Hey, if this does well, like Kevin Williamson, when he wrote Scream 1, you know, we'll do a Scream 2. And actually like someone like Kevin Williamson, when he was shopping Scream 1 script around, he had a little detailed part about how he would continue part two at the end of the script. So it was always the plan if it did well, and, and we were uh, lucky enough that it was a success.
2: Well, uh, success is, is an understatement, and, and your band is just, it's so refreshing. You're not a new band, but yet you're getting these Metallica tours. You're, you're elevating your status as a band. You're continuing to move forward in a big way. That's hard to do as you're an older band. It's, oh, that band. I've heard them before. What are they going to do now? How are they going to prove themselves now?
4: Well... We still, I hope that we still look young, and we took a cue from American Psycho, we use um, lotion on our skin with little or no alcohol, because alcohol (laughs) dries the face out and makes you look older. So that was one of our tricks that we picked up from Bateman. But yes, I mean, there was a period of time where no record label wanted to touch us. Not even the fact that they didn't really like our music. They were just like, this band's been around too long. They're, what are they, 25? Like, it's just not going to happen. So that was a stigma that was definitely around our band for a long time. And we just really didn't let it phase us. Uh, maybe you need a little bit of persistence, a little bit of stupidity. And uh, it's a recipe for uh, hopefully success. Right on. Well, a couple of things about the track. It was the lead single from the album, The Silver Scream
2: 2, Welcome to Horrorwood. Features uh, Jacoby Shaddix from Papa Roach uh, on the track. And the music video is absolutely killer. And then there's the actual scene from the movie, American Psycho, <laughs> that inspired the video. And then I can't believe this. Huey Lewis actually did a parody of the scene as well with a Weird
0: Al. Hey. Yes, Al? Why are there newspapers all over the place? Is that like a Huey Lewis on the news joke, or something? <laughs> no, Al. Hey, is that a raincoat? Yes,
1: it is. In 2005, Lionsgate oh, release released this, this The Uncuttling. I think it's an undisputed masterpiece, a movie so entertaining, most people probably don't, don't listen, don't listen don't to the entry.
0: message. Most people probably don't listen to the lyrics. But they
1: should, because it's not just a great character study, but a sardonic metaphor for 1980s greed and materialism.
3: Hey Al! Ah! Try parodying one of my songs now, you stupid bastard.
2: And how you put all this together, and you're the narrator, but you're talking about a movie, but yet you're in. The, it's
4: what you've done here is created something that is. I don't know if it's really ever been done like this. I appreciate that, Chris. Yeah, the whole thing with our band is that we we approach it from let's have some fun, and we really try to capture the spirit of each movie that we cover. And I remember seeing that movie when I was, you know, what it came out in two thousand, so I was like thirteen or fourteen, and I remember. We, all my friends, we, we had to buy tickets for another movie to sneak into it because our parents you know <laughs> yeah. wouldn't take us to the movie. And I remember being in the theater and really enjoying it, enjoying more of the horror element of the movie. And then, like, days later, as my friends and I started to, quote, the movie on the schoolyard, so to speak, we realized how fucking funny it was, and that it really was satirical. Because none of us, we were too young to have understood, uh, you know, that the book had come out and been controversial. We just saw these ads for this crazy looking film with this business guy, you know, sleeping with these women and killing everyone and, and with the business card. That's what attracted us to the movie. But it was like the, those days later of re-quoting the business card scene and realizing this is hysterical.
0: New card. What do you think? Woohoo.
3: Very nice. Look at that. Picked them up from the printers yesterday. Good coloring. That's bone. And the lettering is something called Cillian Braille. It's very cool, Bateman. But that's nothing. Look at this. That
2: is really nice.
3: Eggshell with Romalian type. What do you think? Nice. Jesus. <laughs> that
2: is really super. How did a nitwit like you get so tasteful?
4: <laughs> I can't believe that Bryce prefers Van Patten's card to mine. And uh, we tried to bring that energy into, into the songwriting process. And I knew even before we started writing the song that the mosh call you know, which is the you know, the big moment in like a metal or a hardcore song where the music drops out and everyone screams the same word, would have to be hey Paul. And we'd have to parody (laughs) that Huey Lewis song in some form or or another within the track. So that was kind of one of those songs where like, okay, I know we're gonna go here. How do we get to that place? And uh and I remember such a pivotal point was when I when I stumbled upon that title, how could it not be called "Hip to be Scared? It's just too perfect, you know
2: <laughs> Well, and, and you're also assuming that your audience is going to get it. They're gonna understand what you're trying to put together here. There's a lot of references. There's a lot of people. It, it, it's insane. And man, it, it, your whole trip is fascinating. I could talk to you for an hour. We got to get into the song. One last thing: <laughs> you brought Drew Falk back, uh, who's known as Wizard Blood, to produce uh, this this record. Was there an option to go anywhere else, or was was Drew it? Because you just knew.
4: Drew is our boy. You know, we had such a great time with him on the first record, and one of the things. He, he's so talented in so many different ways, but one of the main reasons I love to continue to work with him is that he, he's not afraid to take risks. Like, we're not afraid to take risks. And he wants to get weirder and crazier. And I don't know if he really had worked with too many bands before us that wanted to do that kind of weird shit. You know, even like, you know, to, to bring back like um, a punk ska kind of a reference, I remember when I heard that Goldfinger song, uh, what What is it? The city with two faces The one with the Fuck LA chorus And they go into that part And I know you know What I'm talking about Where John just gets on He's like Now don't get me wrong LA's got some beautiful people But it's got some great bands And it's like this weird Kind of like Jazzy musical turn Like it takes a right turn Or yeah. left turn Or whatever
3: Now don't get me
4: wrong you're probably thinking we're just some trendy punk rock band jumping on the bandwagon. Well, like, how many times have you heard me say fuck anyway? Well, Seven to be exact. We still have four more to go. Now I know Ellie. LA- I have had more motorcycles stolen here than Nirvana has songs about heroin. And like, <laughs> stuff like that. I love when bands <laughs> did that kind of shit. And and Drew was so behind. Going wild and coming out of a, a a big chorus and going to some weird skit that parodies the movie, but we're now we're not talking about Huey Lewis, we're talking about Ice Nine Kills. So his sort of fearless nature is is definitely one of the reasons that we returned to have him back. And and this was the first song that we wrote for the album, and this was one that basically Drew and I just wrote in the studio in a couple of days. This one came out real fast. That is. Unbelievable. The song is, we're going to get into it because there's a lot here.
2: Three minutes and 23 seconds. Eight bar intro. Tom drum flutter happens. And a, I'm calling it a church bell, Spencer. Uh, starts oh, yeah. this off with an arpeggiated guitar part. Halfway through, we get another Tom fill in a church bell. And there's also a police siren wailing away underneath it all. This beginning reminds me a little bit of Hallowed Be Thy Name by Iron Maiden. That, that uh, intro of that song, it's got the bells and the arpeggiated guitar.
4: <laughs> I feel like I've heard someone say that as well. When we first released the song, I'm almost positive that someone made that exact Connection, and I was—I'm not familiar with that song too much, but I remember then going back and checking out, checking it out, and I could totally see uh, what why someone would say that for sure. Yeah, so
2: eight-bar intro. Right out of this, we get into verse one, and I don't—you know—you said a, a second ago that you wrote this one quickly. I don't know how you came up with this quickly.
3: In the wealthiest sections, a killer complexion is often a great alibi. Valentino couture mixed with violence and gore. Well, I guess I'm a pretty sick guy. With my beauty routines and a phrase full of spleen! I say it's extreme, but it's time to say
2: In the wealthiest sections, a killer complexion is often a great alibi. Valentino couture mixed with violence and gore. Well, I guess I'm a pretty sick guy. With my beauty routines and a fridge full of spleens, some might say it's extreme, but it's time to say goodbye.
4: Oh man, what an opening, right? <laughs> yeah. So what came first, honestly, was me sitting down on Drew's couch in his studio, and that guitar part came to me, dun, 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 that sort of waltzy six-eight yes. guitar part. Um, on an acoustic guitar, and what we were thinking about, or what, what, I, what I was thinking about when I was doing that, is what is the essence of the music of American Psycho? He loves classical music, he loves pop music of the 80s, and the guy that did the score for American Psycho, uh, John Cale, I mean, is brilliant, and I'm I not too too familiar with the other movies he's done, but I just remember that that sort of scene towards the beginning of the film where he's going through his morning routine and the music is almost very like Moonlight Sonata sort of. Then I apply an herb mint facial mask which I leave on for 10 minutes while I prepare the rest of
0: my routine.
3: I always use an aftershave lotion with little or no alcohol because alcohol dries your face out
0: and makes you look older. Then moisturizer then an anti-aging
4: eye balm, followed by a final moisturizing protective lotion. And I wanted to capture that essence, and that's why I think I was drawn to that waltzy, waltzy sound. And again, I'm not like the the super classically trained musician. I'll just play something, and then someone will be like, oh, that's cool that you're doing it in 6.8. I didn't think about, hey, i got to do something in 6.8. I was just drawn to that guitar part. And what's funny about it is that Drew actually recorded that acoustic guitar part on his iPhone. I was playing that, and he recorded that, and that's what stayed in the song. He transferred from his iPhone, put a bunch of processing on it, and uh, that's a little trick of the trade.
2: That is crazy, because I... Thought it was an acoustic guitar, maybe ghosted with an electric. I could hear the sliding. I could hear the actual pick being picked up by a microphone. I had no idea it was the
4: microphone inside of an iPhone. That's <laughs> yeah. incredible. It's a really cool sound. Thank you. Yeah, he he does that a lot. I I, I didn't know that until we did that, but he... he has a tendency to want to do that because I don't know. I think it's like you know a producer like Ross Robinson who's like famous for getting a vibe. There was just a vibe when I was playing. He said, "Hey, keep playing that. I'm going to record you right now with the with the uh, with the iPhone." So I thought that was cool too because I'm a guitarist at heart. I write a lot of our stuff. On guitar, but I don't really get to play guitar on the album too much. So this was me getting to to have a, a part on the album that actually stayed, because we've our guitars are absolutely incredible, better players than I am. But it was cool to be able to get uh, uh, something that I played. Um, onto the album.
2: You're blowing my mind right now. That was recorded. I mean, it kind of reminded me a little bit of like the intro of Fade to Black by Metallica, that type of, you know, nylon string guitar uh, tone. And, and here they were probably using a, you know, $1,000 guitar and a bunch of expensive <laughs> microphones. And, and this was recorded on an iPhone. It sounds incredible.
4: That's 2021 or whenever we recorded for you, uh, but yeah, and and again, bring back the Metallica influence. We referenced them so many different times on this album. The sound of battery, the beginning of battery, um, you know, the breakdown of one is very similar to another song, Welcome to Horrorwood, on the album. But um, yeah, it just kind of kind of flowed out of me. And uh, another thing that Drew is so fantastic at. Programming drums as we're going. He's just—he's a master at that. And like, like you mentioned, that little flutter, that little flam that starts the song. It's like those little subtleties that he brings to this song. Um, can't be overstated. And now I'm, I'm I'm speaking like Patrick Bateman. I just can't help it. Um, <laughs> this
2: is I mean you you guys are are really pushing your own genre theater core. I don't know what you if, if that's a term
4: <laughs> theatricore We um, actually used to call it back in the day.
2: Okay, okay. I I, I would definitely give it that. It's it's got its own vibe. A lot going on in this first verse. There's like a howling wind sound that comes in here and. Are those types of sounds and'm I'm, I'm sure they're they're done on a synth or or maybe they're they're sound samples that you've gotten from somewhere is that done like as a last last minute like cherry on top or, or are you already thinking about that was drew already thinking about that when you were laying down the basic tracks?
4: I definitely remember when we were creating the intro that we knew that we wanted to set, the scene of, of New York City and, and some sort of crime going on amidst these lyrics about, you know, a guy that lives in a penthouse and works on Wall Street. So I believe we did layer in some of that as uh, as we were writing the song. You know, Drew is very much hands-on in the box, as they say. Um, but I also have to give so much credit to um, our bassist and vocalist and pianist, extraordinaire Joe, who um, also is very involved in the sound design of the songs. And then As you said, the sort of cherry on top, which is one of the most rewarding parts of the process of our songwriting, is that we take the finished product, or at least a finished demo product, and we send it to our guy Francesco Farini. Perfect name for a composer, right? (laughs) He's in this symphonic like death metal band um, from Italy called Flesh God Apocalypse.
2: Oh my god, they're
4: incredible. Incredible, right? That band's incredible. the guy that does all of their synth, all of their piano, all of their sound design. And so he's become like, uh, you know, a, a fifth member of the band and we send it to him. We tell him what the movie, you know, the movie that the song is covering and he just goes wild. So a lot of those like, you know, those mm-hmm. beautiful viola parts, violin, cello, that, that that's him really sinking in the score and the feel of the movie and, and gives us that that sheen at the end of the process and it's always so exciting and I'll send you guys just the clip of his orchestration we sit in a circle like giddy little schoolboys when he sends that track over and we just listen to his his beautiful composition And, and this guy should be scoring major motion pictures he's that good
2: You may be doing the same thing someday with what, what you got going on in your brain, kid. I'll tell you. It's, it's, I it's incredible. It. And for those who haven't listened, uh to Flesh God Apocalypse might be one of the most brutal heavy bands I've ever heard in my life. Uh and and fast. I uh, just just absolutely incredible. So definitely, definitely check that band out. It's really cool that uh that you're working alongside him.
4: He, he's awesome. And when when we played in Italy earlier on in the in the summer or spring, he came out to the show and it was actually the first time. I'd ever met him in person because we've been working together for years, you know, via Zoom and just via, you know, exchanging files. So he's he's a, he's a great guy to boot. So cool. Well, there's also
2: uh, every second bar in this verse. It's like a plunk of the bass panned off right. It sounds like a stand-up bass. What is that plunk? In the
3: wealthiest sections, a killer complexion is all-
4: I think that's just one of uh, one of the little tricks in, in Francesco's Bag of Treats. He has that instinct to add something that's going to give it a little oomph, um, but I'm not sure exactly what it is.
2: It's such an interesting sound. I thought maybe it was a stand-up bass kind of, uh,
4: you know, with some room on it or something panned off right. It wouldn't surprise me because he's got, you know, so many unbelievable libraries, um, and it, it blows my mind. I can't... I. It sounds like you know a real orchestra is playing right alongside us. Like the, the technology and the the, the sound um, libraries these days are so incredible. I, I can't tell the difference. I'm sure you know very very seasoned conductors or, or composers can right. tell, but I certainly can't. He makes it sound so real. Well, we get our first harmony on the
2: line mixed with the violence and gore. It's a subtle harmony. Uh, and there's a high synth that comes in at the top of that line., uh, the next line, well, I guess I'm a pretty sick guy. There's a torpedo sound. Uh, it's like fading under this line. Um, I'm assuming that's another sound from the from the arsenal that he has. It's like. a
4: pew. He's got quite an arsenal. yeah, and and he really he really dives into the film. And he, he, he watches it over and over again, is what he tells me. And uh, he just tries to bring that aura t- to the orchestration and sound design. So I, I got to tip my hat to him for giving us that, that final sheen and that gloss that really brings it into uh, you know 1980s greed and murder.
2: Well, and, and I got to ask you, but besides Jacoby,
4: and I'm, I'm, I'm assuming he's just on the choruses, correct? He starts on the uh, Huey Lewis part, like I ask him, do you like Ice Nine Kills? He says, not really. That's the first time he speaks. Okay. And then he starts singing at the dropout chorus and then sings the rest of the song with me.
2: Okay. So besides him though, are you all the voices of the, of the male characters?
4: Uh, yes, I, I am. I believe Joe um, may have may have done some of the harmonies because we like to do that. You know, sometimes I, I harmonize myself, but you know, like you guys, you know, I always like the sound of of two people harmonizing, uh, you know, and and to me, it adds that kind of authenticity. So I'm pretty sure that Joe did a lot of the harmonies, and then actually, uh, my girlfriend Nadia is the one, and we'll get into this in the second verse. Who's like Patrick? Where are you going? Okay, so we that's her. In. Okay, <laughs> yeah, I didn't do that one.
2: <laughs> no, no, but I. It's just so cool, man. When I'm listening to this, and again, you're you're on your own trip with with what you have going on with this project with your band. Uh, I feel like I'm listening to different characters within the song that. All the characters are you. You change your voice a lot. You know, you're the up you're the real up guy and happy and positive and then like you're kind of the morose guy and you could be the screamy guy, the angry guy. There's a lot happening here. It's very deep. Thank
4: you. I I think that that really comes from the fact that that his character is so all over the place, and I tried to mirror that. You know, in one moment he's very casually talking to you, you know, his date. Uh, You'll have the pork loin with lime jelly, <laughs> uh, New York matinee called it an interesting, it playful little dish, and then he's you know screaming at the prostitute, not the fucking face, yeah, you piece yeah. of bitch trash. So I try to try to bring that um, fun to the role and to into the vocal parts. Has the director of the flick, does he know about this song? Do and
2: Have any of the directors reached out in the songs you've done? Wes Craven, any of these guys?
4: Well, actually, it's so funny because, you know, this movie and the book, you know, it got a lot of um, flack for being misogynistic and all this stuff. And to me, that that's for people that don't understand that this is a satire. And the movie was actually directed by a woman, Mary Herron. Who I you know I think it was brilliant to bring in a woman and give that perspective, and uh, to me it sort of deflates any sort of uh, sentiment that this movie is misogynistic. Of course, he is misogynistic; the character is, but. You know, when you watch Batman, the Joker's a bad guy, but the, the filmmakers aren't the bad guys. We're trying to make a villain out of them. Uh, so the, the most interesting uh, interaction I've had in terms of people involved with this movie or, or book, I went to uh, the wedding of my very good friend Dead Meat James, perfect name for a friend of mine, right? He's a big YouTube uh, horror personality, and he had me at his wedding, and he sat me at this table, to, to give you an idea of who this guy is and how cool he is, uh, Heather Langenkamp, the star of the original Nightmare on Elm Street, officiated this guy's wedding. So, of <laughs> course, I'm friends with these awesome. kind of people. And uh, at the table was this guy, Joe Lynch, who's a very talented filmmaker. And um, he realized that I was in Ice Night Kill. Someone introduced me, said, oh, man, I really love your band. And I want to let you know that I know Brett Easton Ellis, who you know, the author of American Psycho, And I showed him Hip To Be Scared, and he really liked it. And I was like, are you serious? Like, That's so flattering, obviously, that the guy who wrote the book enjoyed the song. He's like, next time I have dinner with him, I'm gonna bring you, and I was like, okay, right. I'm sure that's gonna happen. And three months later, sure enough, he invited me out to dinner, and I got to uh, have dinner with the guy that wrote the book American Psycho, and uh, that was a, that was a trip. And he he said he really liked the song and really liked my voice, and it was just like, are you serious? I'm sitting here with the guy that that put together, uh, you know, one of my uh, one of my all time favorite books and movies. It was it was a real riot to say the least.
2: That's so awesome, man! You're you're living the dream of what you love. It's it's so cool. Well, on Guy we get this cool delay, and then right from that, there's this whole band swell. Whew straight up into the last two lines here it's when the stereo guitars drums bass and screaming intense vocals come in uh amazing drum fill starting on the word spleen and then we get get the last line you get a dual harmony guitars panned left and right and on the line uh, the very last lyric of verse one time to say goodbye there's another higher octave vocal on say goodbye there as we get into chorus one which starts off with a big Church bell. So to hell with good intentions. So to hell is where I'll go. But the devil makes exceptions. For all American psychos.
4: Yeah, so that that first lyric just kind of came to me when I was playing around with what melody I wanted to have for the chorus. And it just felt so good to say, to hell with good intentions, right? And I always write the lyrics with um, another sort of sixth member of the band, this very talented guy, Steve Sopjak. We've been working together since... You know, 2009. So it's like we complete each other's thoughts. And uh, this was one part where we did kind of have a difference of opinion. He wanted the second line to go, instead of to hell with good intentions, to hell is where I'll go. He wanted it to be this very clever line to hell with good intentions, I'm a wolf within sheep's clothes. And while I agree that was a very interesting line, I had to go back to what uh, I remember Tom Wally. Uh, who who's the you know the the president of Loma Vista works with Concord. He had told John Feldman years ago when they were talking about a chorus. The wheels on the bus go round and round, round and round, round and round. So I, to me, it it needed that repetition of using to hell again. So that's why that fell into place the way it did. Um, and sometimes, you know, the repetition isn't quite as clever, maybe, as a different lyric. But it just—it it felt so good to sing. So I'm—I'm I'm glad that uh, Steve and I uh, finally um, agreed on that part that it should be that. And uh, yeah. The rest is history on that one.
2: Very cool. You know, labels used to care about what you called a song for commercial radio. I'm not so sure if that goes on for the Spotify's and all that out there now. But did anybody from the label managers, anybody in the band say, hey, maybe we should just call this American Psycho?
4: That's the hook. 100%.
2: Oh, they did, 100%. because hip to be Square" doesn't really come in. You, you have to kind of know the Huey song, and yeah. y- your, your part here is way different than his. We're
4: going to get into that in a second,
2: but I'm just wondering, was, that, 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 was uh, that was brought up, yes? I
4: remember it specifically. We're eating at Nobu, one of my favorite uh, sushi restaurants in LA, yes. and someone, one of our managers said, I, we, we should probably just call the song American Psycho, and I said, nope, no way. Because, you know, it makes sense from a marketing standpoint, but um, it just, it seemed like it was so perfect because not only is obviously a play on hip to be square, hip to be scared, it kind of, it says so much about what we're doing with our band that it's cool to like horror, you know what I mean? And it's cool to be scared. And it just, it seemed like the perfect Perfect choice, but I will say there was there was talk that well, is there something about using the word American as our first single for each album? Because the first single. From Silver Scream One was the American um, Nightmare. American Nightmare. So we thought maybe yeah. that's maybe that's <laughs> a, a good luck charm or something. Um, but yeah, that, you, you're d- you definitely hit the nail on the head. They definitely there was discussion of just calling an American Psycho. But our honestly, our whole t- whole team, our, our managers are so cool. They never are overbearing with that stuff. It's always just like, hey, here's our suggestion.
2: And you're kind of uh, you know making fun of the whole thing, laughing. You're so you're having fun with it. Hip to be scared. It's a play on words. It's awesome. Exactly. Thank you.
0: Hey, don't go anywhere. We got lots more coming up with Spencer Charnas after a few words from our sponsors that's Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW group void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Do you like to laugh, geek out on music, and learn all about that band or artist who had that one song back in the day but then seemed to fall off the face of the earth? If so, you need to subscribe to One Hit Thunder. Together with an array of interesting and hilarious guests, we do a weekly dive into one-hit wonders like Eiffel 65's Blue, Krayshawn's Gucci Gucci, EMF's Unbelievable, Delamitri's Roll to Me, Los Del Rio's Macarena, Musical Youth's Past the Duchy, and even Patrick Swayze's She's Like the Wind. So are you subscribed to One Hit Thunder or what? As Desiree would say, you gotta be. And as K7 would encourage, you gotta come, baby, come, and join in on the fun of the One Hit Thunder podcast
3: come
0: and now
2: back to the show Chorus 1, that big church bell, starts it off right on the downbeat. We get big stereo guitars, keypads, a guitar riff panned off right, as well as octave guitars, bass. I'm hearing piano notes in here. The tambourine comes in here, which is interesting because this part's halftime. And that tambourine coming in really makes it move along. It doesn't just lay there. Uh, it's really cool. It sounds like double-tracked vocals are here. And I got to ask, are there like swirly, delayed vocals kind of ghosting left to right and vice versa through this? It's haunting.
4: Whatever's happening. It's very subtle. Drew loves to do that kind of stuff. So he has me record the vocal. You know, we'll do this towards the end of the process, just in so many different ways. Low octaves. Okay, try this one more energetic. Try this one more uh, schizophrenic. And and then he kind of listens through all of the different vocal takes and picks what he loves, um, and then you know verbs them out or it adds any of those interesting, swirly, kind of haunting sound effects. Well, yeah, because I can't I can't discern any actual lyrics of this spe- specific
2: part I'm talking about or words. It's just. I know something's kind of being said and swirling around. It's
4: almost inaudible, but if it wasn't there, I would notice it too. <laughs> it could also be, you might also be hearing more tricks from the bag of Francesco Farini. He tends to put in stuff too that, you know, maybe he, maybe there might be a layer of like Latin sounding, you know, just um, vowels or something like that and a spooky factor. But I'm definitely going to get you guys just the orchestral Uh, version of the song so that you can play it on this episode and maybe you can discern exactly what you're talking about.
2: incredible this thing takes you through like different acts that's what i feel like when i'm listening to this it is like a movie that's been scored it really takes you on a journey and out of chorus one uh we get the first spoken word part it's an eight bar re-intro uh the synths get a bit detuned here they get a little funky in this part It get a little wobbly it makes it sound uh sound a little creepy Patrick,
3: where are you going i'm just leaving but why no.
4: The voice over here is your girlfriend, her name again? Her name is Nadia, and she actually plays the lead, uh, the final girl, so to speak, in all of our music videos. And the, the overarching story in this album, Welcome to Horrorwood, is that... I've killed, you know, that my fiance has been killed, right, in real life. And they're using these music videos that Ice Nine Kills has made, these twisted music videos where she dies in every video as evidence of my guilt. So it was a no-brainer to to have her be (laughs) the female character in this song. That's awesome. Well, she says, Patrick, where are you going? And you say, I was just leaving. She says,
2: but why? And you say, I have to return some videotapes. And return some videotapes is you alone, Uh, just you right there. And then we get into verse two right off of that.
4: I have to return some videotapes.
3: You'll no, find
4: no escape
3: once you're captured on tape. I'm aware it's a bit of oh, a It's a piece of I'm only grieving without ever grieving. But wait, let me kiss you my car. Say
2: You'll find no escape once you're captured on tape. I'm aware it's a bit avant-garde. Not the beep face, you piece of trash. Casually cleaving without ever grieving. But wait, let me give you my card. That's Bone. There is no real me. Just this dark entity that cannot be redeemed. So it's time to say goodbye and real quick i got to tell you before you break these down for us i watched the video first okay a lot of times in videos they'll put extra sounds and i'm thinking after i watched it once i'm like i can't watch this because i got to listen to the, the actual track to see if all <laughs> these noises are there and they're all here <laughs> i don't i don't know if you did anything and posted the video if you did i couldn't hear it but uh, so
4: much going on what's happening here with the, with uh, these lyrics I think we were just really having fun, Steve and I, with the internal rhymes. Uh, There's definitely a lot of pieces, actual direct quotes from the movie. You know, that's Bone. He says that in in the uh, iconic business card scene. Uh, In the first verse when he says, "Um, you know, I guess I'm a pretty sick guy. So I think what Steve and I did was we picked out what lines we wanted to actually swipe right from the movie and like a puzzle and we do this a lot we use that as our guide okay how do we how do we get to the rhyme for pretty sick guy or how do we get to um that's bone um how do we get to uh, have to return some videotapes and we just wanted to sort of keep moving the story along the whole idea of referencing the videotape part is because you learn as you're watching the movie that he records a lot of the murders and we knew that um that would be something that we'd want to get in there and uh you know it's just fun it's just fun to sing casually cleaving without ever grieving i mean we knew on stage that would work you know it is fun but uh, do you have any idea how many
2: of your fans really get this do they just like the song and like the art? Do they really get like the whole connection with the movie and this line and that line? I'm sure some of them do, but there's a lot here to digest.
4: I think from what I've heard about our fans, th- there's certain fans that know the references right from the beginning because they're already big horror movie fans. But there's yeah. so many of our fans that are, are, are quite younger. And maybe didn't know too much about American Psycho, even though maybe they knew it from like memes because it is sort of a very iconic kind of, you know, that picture of Patrick Bateman, whether he's got the axe or the business card, maybe they'd heard of it. But the fun for them is to see, okay, my favorite band Ice Nine Kills is talking about this movie. I guess it's based on American Psycho. Now that I love this song, let me go back and watch the movie and then you know they already like the song hopefully but then they get it gets sort of gives them sort of a second life in terms of their enjoyment because like oh my god now i get the reference so i think it it allows them to enjoy it on seven several different levels which is which is really cool i've always loved bands that lyrically leave
2: their audience a lot of easter eggs a lot of cool little things. today, And, you know, you've you've heard all the argument. you know, what, what is this Beatles song about or that? And did he really write it about? His, is it about his dead friend? It's like, that's the part we take away as listeners. It, it, it could be all of those things. So um, I'm glad you talked about that a little bit, because I figured there'd be some super fans that just know every little reference. And I think, that, I think that's so cool. A uh, lot going on here in verse two. The first two lines, we get some great harmonies on these first two lines. And there's also these cool guitar dive bombs that are happening here oh, it's awesome and it only happens in that that part of, yeah it only happens and i don't even know if that's guitar that could be the uh, arsenal of keyboard sounds
4: i have to give that up to to our guitarist uh, dan sugarman who's who's Absolutely incredible player. And this was the first uh, album, and probably the f- uh, other than a bridge track that we wrote uh, between two albums, this is the first song uh, he probably got to play guitar on uh, for Ice Nine Kills. He was uh, in a, a very technical kind of death metal band called As Blood Runs Black. So he brings a whole new sort of swagger to the Ice Nine Kills formula, and he loves doing stuff like dive bombs. And it just it seemed, because... You know, we're, we're in 6-8 the whole song until this halfway through this verse, we switched to 4-4, four, four, and it just felt like, you know, the sound of the fast-paced, almost punk drums was mirroring me chasing, you know, someone with a chainsaw. Obviously, I'm naked wearing, you know, <laughs> tennis shoes or basketball shoes like he is, and the dive bomb just seemed tasty and appropriate for that section.
2: On the line, not the blank face, you piece of trash. There's a crazy drum fill as this line is screamed. On the next line, when we switch to 4-4, you were just talking about that. All hell breaks loose here, tempo-wise. So, yeah, what happens here on the last two lines is is, is crazy. The band is is completely going staccato with every word. There is no real me, just the dark entity that cannot be redeemed. The whole band is just hitting every one of those hits. It's really cool. And then we get six drum hits with the whole band before the last line. So it's time to say goodbye. Uh, Right then you get this guitar that happens. Again, I just love what's happening with the guitars in this track. Not only are they heavy, but there's so many little, that die bomb we talked about, that real thing, that slide that happens there. Uh, on Say Goodbye, we also get a harmony at the end here. Uh, and Say Goodbye is by itself. And there is no dual guitars here like verse one. So you can really hear that church bell that sounds off chorus two. It's there on chorus one, but those guitars are there hanging over it. You don't get really hit by it as much as you do here.
4: Yeah, I mean, there's tons going on. You know, you touched on the guitar parts, um, especially when we get into 4-4. What I really remember about that part is that that's just mirroring sort of the same riff that I was playing in the beginning. That sort of waltzy, except now it's... So that's always fun. Uh, to have something, the the dichotomy of how that riff originated, which was so far from like a speed metal punk Mm -hmm. part, and then transposing that to a, a really fast part. So I remember that being cool and sort of also mirroring the fact that as we were talking about, his character can be very relaxed and mellow. And then, you know, on a dime, he's chasing someone naked, you know, with a chainsaw. So that that kind of stuff, we tried to echo through the instrumentation. And I also remember, you know, as you're talking about the chorus coming in, switching from 4-4 four, four, um, to 6-8 there, I just remember being in the studio with Drew And uh, I was like, oh, but this part seems like it's It's 4-4. No, no, we can switch back right here. So I have to give him full credit for um, sort of very gracefully being able to figure out how to just get back to 6-8. Because that's not, it it doesn't always sound right, right? When you're trying to switch time signatures, you have to do it just in the right way. Sometimes when you go back to 6,
2: it doesn't sound as heavy now as it did before because you're coming off the 4-4 part. So that is very interesting. You know, you mentioned something very interesting I hadn't really thought about. You know, you talked about that arpeggiated kind of waltz thing that you, that you wrote that you played heavier when it went to 4-4. System of a Down does that a lot. These beautiful orchestrated parts in six. The next thing you know, it's a metal riff that's tearing your head off.
4: I've always been a huge fan of that band and, and we reference them a lot too because they tend to always write or for the most part in harmonic minor which I'm always drawn to. and I'm not I, again, I'm not the guy that will hear a part of me and go, "Oh, that is harmonic minor. Oh, that's oh, that's cool that you're doing in six eight. I'm always just a feel guy. And uh, I, I always appreciated their melodies. I mean, they're, they are an incredible band, and uh, I'm, I'm glad you, you brought them up because they were another influence, you know, in, in our melodic sensibilities, hundred percent. And how weird they are. You know, we talk about taking yeah. chances. <laughs> I mean, they're fucking crazy. Like they are just out there. And I'm glad you brought that up. Very cool. Well, we pretty much get the same
2: instrumentation as chorus one here. Say
3: goodbye. So to hell with good
2: <laughs> the chorus of this song is, is really the only part with any kind of structure. If that makes sense, the rest of this thing is just so schizophrenic and all over the place. Was that kind of the mindset? Like, look, we have to have a place where we all come together. There has to be a chorus where we're kind of all doing this, and then we can go crazy again and come to have something to come back to uh, to land on our feet. I guess.
4: Absolutely, you know. I, as much as I'm a fan of schizophrenic, very heavy music, kind of riff salad, that's just. Fucking goes, you know, hundred miles an hour. I'm a I'm a pop guy, and I love hooks. And I think we would be remiss if we were writing a song about American Psycho and we don't have a great hook. Because he's, you know, he's listening to Phil Collins, he's listening to Whitney Houston in this movie. He's listening to you know, the Lady in Red, and it's just like all those songs, you know, Hip to be Hip to be Square. All those songs have such identifiable hooks that are easy to sing along with. Uh, we wanted to make sure that we we did the same in this song. Awesome. Well, ton of stuff
2: here. Okay, we get the same uh, harmonies, the same placement and instrumentation pretty much for the first half of chorus two. This chorus and the last chorus are longer than chorus one. On the third line, hell is where I'll go. There's like a buried monster growl
4: right on that line that's not on chorus one. Again, that's that's probably Drew just saying, "Hey, we need something to beef this part up, to make it sound a little spicy." And uh, that that was probably Joe. Just, it's subtle. Yeah. We like to throw those little things in. I,
2: can't, I had to listen to it like 10 times. I'm
4: like, why does this feel different? Why is this hitting me different?
2: I'm like, man, there's some sub-growl uh, going on here. <laughs> it's, it's very cool. Uh, after For All American Psychos, where we end chorus one, we continue on here. I would almost call this a post-chorus, Spencer, but it's not because we come back to the chorus hook after, but it's a really cool part. It, it builds some tension here. Uh, the line is, hold my calls. I'll kill them all. And then you finish with, so to hell with good intentions for all American psychos. We get harmonies on that line, hold my calls, I'll kill them all, and on so to hell with good intentions. Uh, On the word all, it's held out for four bars. Then the band stops as that dual guitar lead panned left and right leads us into the last part uh, of chorus two, uh, which is those two lines. So to hell with good intentions for all American psychos. There's a big delay on psycho that hangs over I I wrote here (laughs) that hangs over Huey (laughs) which is the next part we're going to get into which is the musical interlude do
4: you like Ice Nine Kills? not really their early work was a little bit too seen for me but when the Silver Screen came out I think they really came into their own commercially and artistically has a refined melodic sensibility that really
3: makes it a cut above the rest. Hey, Paul!
2: What is going on here? When this part comes out of left field, it's like, what? It's almost like the closest I could get to this is something like Mr. Bungle would do, maybe. (laughs) Like, completely out of left field.
4: I think it was just one of those things that we knew going into this song that we're going to have to get to this Huey part. We want to. We want to do a skit. We know that we're going to want to do a music video, and we're going to want that holy shit moment where it just comes out of nowhere. And uh, it was just again such a fun part to put together, and uh, even more so, uh, more fun than putting it together was getting people's reaction the first time they heard it and just seeing a smile. Come on their Facebook. Are you guys serious? This is fucking cool.
2: I'm still smiling, <laughs> dude. It, it's it's this whole part's insane. And was there ever a concern that this is going to be cheesy? This is going to go south because there is an element of cheese to it. But at the same time, there's there's an element of I'm going to call it. It's kind of punk. It's kind of like the middle finger. It's it, it there's a there's a bit of snottiness here with the delivery.
4: Absolutely. I think it was just one of those things where. It's like we're doing something so overly cheesy, so overly ridiculous that we're going into these this '80s synth part that makes no sense whatsoever, and we just didn't care. And I remember specifically like when when I, rem- I don't remember if it was label or um, parts of our management who who handle like the Spotify playlisting. They were like, "You got to get rid of this part." And I was, "Are you kidding me? This is this is what's going to make this song blow up." And and, and you know, it might not be right for the Spotify algorithm for playlists, but we just don't give a shit. <laughs> and it's become like a centerpiece of the band. Like, there's so many people that now go around our, either our fan base or to people that don't know the music. Do you like Ice Nine Kills? And if you don't answer, not really, you're not in on the joke.
2: You really changed up this part. It's almost like... You could have made this, in my opinion, sound a lot more like the song and maybe a little tougher. It sounds almost like a bad karaoke version. (laughs) I I know that that's on purpose. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But but I want to talk about this, okay? First of all, it sounds like a drum machine. This whole thing's programmed. Mm-hmm. Is that right?
4: Absolutely. I think Drew did like a first pass of it when we were writing it, and then Francesco added added a lot of different synth stuff and really beefed it up, yeah. So Hip to be Squared, the original track, it's
2: way slower. It's so funny. I went and listened to it. i a A-B'd it. I'm like, oh my gosh, I couldn't believe how fast it sounded compared to this part, because I thought this was kind of kind of in the ballpark. But uh, your riff, of course, starts on uh, C sharp minor here. The riff sounds different than Huey's,
4: though. There's like one chord it goes to different. Was that on purpose? A hundred percent. So when we were doing that part, we knew, okay, well, we can't just rip the exact riff because obviously Huey Lewis wrote that and it would interfere with songwriting royalties and everything. So... It was either me or Drew sat down, like, okay, let's just change it. Obviously, it's in different key, right? This is not the same right. key as the original. And we just, instead of, and I don't want to sound like a vanilla ice, you know, when he's like, ours goes ding, 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 theirs goes ding, 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 ding. Din. <laughs> but uh, we definitely made it a little bit different. So it's like ding, ding. You know, it, it's not yes. exactly. If it's considered a
2: parody, can you get away with not having to pay those royalties out? Is that I, I know that in certain instances, and if you're not using the exact lyric, there's a, there's a bunch of different rules with that.
4: So from what my understanding is now, going through this part, because it was really the first time we ever took someone else's music and put it into our own song, if it could be confused as as Huey's then they would have a case, right? So when we submitted it to the label, even though I remember sending... No, it's not the same as Huey's because let me play it back to back. And I remember sending our lawyer and I think sending our label a video of me playing Huey's riff on acoustic guitar and then playing my riff. And they're like, it doesn't matter. It's too close. We got got to get permission. And so that actually led to a really cool thing. Although we lost some of the percentage points um, on the royalties, Huey Lewis... Actually has a writing credit on an Ice Nine Kill song, and he had to approve it. And from what I understand, our lawyer talked with his lawyer, and he, he really liked it. He commented specifically on the drumming. He said, this song was awesome. I love the drumming. So uh, we do have a, a song with a uh, Huey Lewis uh, in the credits, which makes it all worth it. And you know what? He deserves it because it's such a. Obviously, that song is incredible. Obviously, that song and that part in the movie, and the choice to put that in the movie, uh, it made it that much more iconic. So he deserves a percentage from us. So I, I was absolutely fine with a fine with
2: it. Fine with it. That's awesome. Well, this whole part, it sounds like a cheesy 80s infomercial. It's what it reminds me of, this this whole section. You're basically saying like an infomercial, do you like Ice Nine Kills? Not really. And I guess not really. That was Jacoby there, right? That is, yeah. Yeah. Their early work was a little bit too seen for me, but when The Silver Scream came out, I think they really came into their own, commercially and artistically. The whole album has a refined melodic sensibility that really makes it a cut above the rest. Hey, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> again, man, you you are out of your mind, man. This is like, where, where did you come up with this?
4: And it's funny because, you know, I, I didn't bring this up before, but as I said, you know, we wrote this song in the box, and so we never demoed it out. So a lot of these takes are just first take demo takes. And uh, I just kind of riffed on, obviously, the dialogue straight from the movie, but I thought it would be so cool and, like, self-deprecating to, you know, to obviously talk about our band and, and still have Paul Allen, Jacoby's character, be like, no, I don't really like Ice Nine Kills. You know, we thought that that would uh, <laughs> elicit some humor. And and for people that, that uh, think that we take ourselves too seriously, it's kind of like, really, you think we take ourselves too seriously? We're just having fun. If you don't like it, you know, listen to something else.
2: Well, uh, after you say a cut above the rest, we get this huge inhale, okay, like a big breath, and then "Hey, Paul!" is screamed, and right then there's a sound of it's almost like a bullwhip cracking. I don't even know how to how else to say this sound, <laughs> but that but that's where the axe swings. What is that sound you put there?
4: Uh, so, uh, Joe and Drew, because of being involved with me, you know, I'm a, a super scary horror guy, sick, twisted motherfucker. I've got all these um, needs for gore sounds. So because of me, both of those guys have so many different libraries of like ripping, tearing, bone sound and <laughs> splitting heads and and cracking yeah. skulls. So I, I know that Joe in particular has said that like on a number of occasions when he's working on a music video for us for the sound design, or Drew is working on finding the perfect gore sound he'll be listening to this like axe singing and women screaming and then he realizes that he's had this these sounds on for like an hour and his neighbors must think he's fucking killing someone in his apartment (laughs) Uh, but i believe that's just an axe swing sound and and uh you know a you know some sort of sound that sounds like a Hitting flesh with a with a with an axe. Yeah. Well, uh, right out of this
2: uh, Huey Lewis altar world, we came out of. We're now in a breakdown. It's sixteen bars, brutally heavy breakdown with a monstrous underlying low guttural scream throughout. <laughs> Very riffy stereo guitars, bass, and drums. <gasps> I hear a cowbell in here oh, uh, yeah, and some crazy like synth swipes, like whoo, going left to right and right to left. It's like I don't even know how to describe that sound. It's like a whoosh sound.
4: Whoosh. Yeah. The whole idea here, much like uh when I was referencing the intro waltz guitar that becomes a heavy, fast riff in the second verse. What we wanted to do here is do like a slammy kind of metal breakdown version of the you know, of the Huey Lewis part. But now we're... And that was the whole idea behind that part, to have it sound seamless from transitioning to you know 80s synth pop, To to a a heavy, hardcore-sounding breakdown, and I've got to give it up to uh, Dan Sugarman and Joe Acutie for uh, for really taking a hold of that part. And I remember specifically we were writing that part when we were on tour with Papa Roach in Europe, like days before the pandemic broke, and then we had to head to uh, head back to America before the travel ban. So awesome. Well,
2: we get our third speaking part in the song. Uh, you've reached the law offices of Mitchell, Summerberg, <laughs> and Donald. Is that right? Is that what it, I picked
4: out? It's actually Mitchell, Silberberg, and Nup, which is actually our lawyer, Eric German's Actual law, law firm, MSK. For some reason, I thought it said uh, Summerberg and Donald. That's what I picked out. I don't know. <laughs> That's not a bad yeah. lawyer uh, office, law firm office. We should say the Cochrane firm would have worked. Um, <laughs> but he was so stoked because I guess that was the first time that law firm had been ever dropped in a song. N- no surprise. <laughs> but uh, interesting thing about that that law firm is that they represented the Goldmans in the civil trial against O.J., so that's a little, oh my gosh. little Easter egg right there. And, uh, oh, jeez. So I thought it would be really cool. One of my favorite scenes in American Psycho is when he calls his lawyer and leaves that rambling message. i, I, I got to tell you, I killed a lot of people. I think the homeless guy, I've killed maybe 40 people. So I wanted to to echo that part uh, into into this part of our song so this whole next part is supposed to be an homage to him calling his lawyer and I even dropped the names of my lawyer my manager the producer in this next part when I'm talking about and and Jose who Jose Mangan from uh, Sirius XM Octane and Liquid Metal he's been a big supporter of the band so I wanted to 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 return the favor and put his name in the song too <laughs> So I say, I I killed Drew, Chris, and Mike. Wait, we could even say it was you. (laughs) You could be the Chris. I say, I killed Drew, Chris, and Mike stabbed Jose with a knife, but I don't think I'm going to get away with it this time.
2: Couldn't you have slid less than Jake somewhere in here? There's not enough stuff in this song,
4: dude. Jeez, I could have. My gosh. It's say um, Chris, so we can just say that to you.
2: <laughs> um, the last thing you say here uh, over that part is, please leave a message, but leave a message is just your voice. And there's a beep, like an answering machine. The and audio- that's me
4: pretending I'm a woman.
2: <laughs> the audio here sounds very grainy, like an old voice greeting, like on an old uh, telephone answering machine. <laughs> I, just, I, I, I love the way that that comes across. And then we get into verse 3, which just... This is just breakneck. It's probably the fastest part of the song.
3: Now, the
2: Eric, hello. As my lawyer, you know. I'm psychotic, but I've crossed the line. I killed Drew, Chris, and Mike. Stabbed Jose with a knife. But I don't think I'm going to get away with it this time.
3: <laughs>
4: Man, it just, you know, hearing you say those lyrics back, it just, it reminds you, and I'm sure you you have this in songwriting with Less Than Jake, when something is just magic and comes together so easily. Like, there are great songs that I'm sure both of us have written that have taken a little bit more time to massage and let's change the chorus or this part's not working. But this was just one of those songs where it just kind of flew out of us and just, it just... It, 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 we caught lightning in a bottle. And I remember, again, most of these I this love particular lyric was written right on the spot um, in the studio. And I think probably this is the take, the, one of the first takes. I know Steve and I did some massaging of some of, of the lines, but I, I think this was just like right there, man. Right in the box.
2: Love what's going on here. On the third line, uh, I killed Drew, Chris, and Mike stabbed Jose with a knife. We get harmony on Drew, Chris, and Mike stabbed Jose with a knife. And we also get a spoken word at the very end of this, just you alone saying away with it this time. This whole section, again, it's super fast. Uh, drums, stereo guitars, bass. Uh, they're all playing huge staccato riffs and pinch harmonics. The last two lines, the first one is staccato, like verse two. And then this crazy crazy drum fill comes in on the last line that drum fill just blows my mind every time it, it comes uh comes through and then we get the sound of the church bell again to signify the start of chorus 3 and this is all broke down here There's a lower octave vocal on the first line to Hell With Good Intentions. On the second line, when the band comes in, there's a monstrous vocal, growly vocal underneath. Uh, and go, the word go, is held out here. Uh, the arpeggiated guitar uh, here on this first line, it has a new, like, chorusy effect to it. It's a different sound that we, we haven't really heard that yet, Spencer.
4: That is another part that I believe I play guitar on In the demo, and we just kept that, um, that take. And I think we just wanted it to sound, you know, I always reference like 90s rock bands when they would kind of break down a pretty part like that. A lot of the, the, the grunge era bands that I listen to, like Stone Temple Pilots and Nirvana and Alice in Chains and Pearl Jam. I always love when they would have that kind of beautiful sounding, almost tremolo, but not quite, of just um, that kind of a, a tone. And that's just really what I was going for in that part. I love
2: it. I love that there's a different texture here. Uh, Three minutes into the song, it's great. On the line, hold my calls, I'll kill them all. Uh, The double bass uh, drum part here is ripping. And we get, I'm calling it here finally, we get the Bill and Ted, a dual lead guitar again <laughs> that, that happens. And I'm referencing Bill and Ted, of course, because they're from a movie and it just kind of made me laugh. That part's very, very playful. Uh, the last bit of lyrics here is, again, so to hell with good intentions. We get a harmony there. Uh, For all American, American psychos, this confession has meant nothing. On American Psychos, the last time you say it, there's like a backswell that happens here, like a backward snare or something that that, that comes in. And when you say psychos, that is delayed and it kind of fades out as the last line is spoken. This confession has meant nothing. We get another backswell. Before nothing. The word nothing. Yeah, exactly. The word nothing is whispered by itself. And over this part, the first part of it, we get that acoustic guitar. It sounds like from the top again. Uh that part that you played through the iPhone is there. The last thing you whisper here, nothing, that is delayed, and it goes right, left, right, left, right, left as it fades out, and the song comes to a dramatic end. This song was, I'm not just saying this. I've had you on here before. I'm not blowing smoke. Yeah, you just got off tour of Metallica, whatever. (laughs) But this might be my favorite song I've ever broke down on Krista Makes a Podcast. Great job. It's awesome. Wow. Yeah, man, man. This thing was so fun to pick through. And it was a lot of work because not much repeats itself. That's why I had said that, you know, you kind of had to have somewhere through the fabric here, something holding it together. And I feel like those choruses
4: grounded everything else. Uh, If if the choruses were schizophrenic, it, it might be too much. Thank you, man. Well, it's funny because, you know, sometimes you doubt yourself or you doubt a melody. And I remember actually writing that melody to the chorus in my apartment, like, maybe the that the night of the first day we had been working on and after I'd come home from the studio. And I was like, oh, that's okay. And then as soon as I heard Drew do that halftime drum part, I was like, fuck, like this is, Big, and um, you know that doesn't always happen when you're writing a song. Like you're like, wow, this is it. That's magic. And uh, I'm I'm glad you felt that way because I th- I think uh, without without the chorus, you know, it wouldn't have that glue that it needs. In terms of the end of the song, the the last line in the movie is this confession has meant nothing. So I know that I knew that I wanted to end the song with that. Um, Jacoby. Again, him being on the track, I've always admired his voice, especially in that song. You know, tear my heart open. He's just got such a cool voice. And we were on tour with them, uh in Europe right before the pandemic hit. And I would watch him every night. Like, this guy not only sounds great on record, but he just slaughters live. Like, his voice is amazing live. Like, you know, you're always your own worst critic. But to me, it's like uh, he sounds perfect every night. And... uh we were in catering one day, and I, we knew that we wanted to have a guest uh, feature on this song. Like, that would be so cool for, uh, you know, someone to play the Paul Allen role. And he's like, send me the demo, and, you know, the rest is history. And he killed it, and he came and did an amazing job on the music video, too. He was so down to get bloody, and, and uh, yeah, I just really appreciate that he did it. And, uh as we elongated that last chorus, uh, you know, with the American, American, that's just stuff, you know, from musical theater that I always loved and things like Phantom of the Opera or Les Miserables when there's that, that ending where they really... Comes to a crescendo. Exactly. Uh, yeah. I call it Slay yeah. Miserables whenever we're referencing it in terms <laughs> of our uh, shit. And uh, I just wanted that sort of one day more kind of moment. And uh, yeah, the rest is uh, the rest is history.
2: So awesome! So last time you were on here, it was about three years later. Uh, two years later, you came back. You know, you already had the song. Do you already have the new song we're going to talk about in two years written and recorded?
4: Well, I definitely have one of those. Uh, it's it's definitely a little bit more <laughs> schizophrenic, but uh, uh, I think you'll you'll enjoy what, what will be coming out next
2: cool that's what i want to ask leave the listeners with what's happening with yourself ice nine kills what do you got going on more metallica shows more
4: metallica shows uh basically through the next year we're scheduled to play with them uh and uh full circle moment for me uh one of the last shows we'll play with them will be uh august 2024 at gillette stadium where you know the Patriots play uh, yeah. a place I've gone to many times in my life, and just to be able to, to 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 play Gillette Stadium is incredible. And we're back in Europe with them over the spring to play like to places like Munich and Madrid, and uh, yeah, we've we've kind of uh, we're gonna do uh, a tour with uh, co-headlining tour with In This Moment in November, off for uh, the winter to to uh, write some new ink songs, and then right back on the road with Metallica in the spring, and summer.
2: That is awesome man. Well, hey, I want to thank you for sitting in again. Thanks for being a fan of the show. Thanks for being a friend and I'm very proud of you man. You you got something very unique and, and very cool.
4: Thank you so much, Chris. It's an yeah. honor to be on the show and you know, let's let's uh, write a song together. Let's get you a guest vocal part on the next uh, Inc album. I would love it. Thanks, buddy.
0: I hope you all enjoyed that conversation with Spencer Charnas, but don't go anywhere. We got lots more to makes a podcast coming right up after a few words from our sponsors.
2: What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media podcast network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living. And every week I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. is a band you might not know. Welcome to this week's Band You Might Not Know. If you'd like your band to be considered for Chris to Make's a podcast, all you have to do is email your best song via MP3 only and a short bio to bandyoumightnotknow at gmail.com. This week's featured artist is Old Wives, a pop-punk band from Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, featuring Ryan Dix on bass and vocals, Sean Millard on guitar and backing vocals, Cody Blakely on guitar, And Darren Chuka on the drums. Darren, of course, doubles down as the drummer for Teenage Bottle Rocket. Here's a snippet of their song For a Friend.
1: The rap with Chris and Chris.
0: So, Chris, I never know with you because I don't know if you're a big movie and TV guy, but had you seen American Psycho before? I have never seen American Psycho, but I'm aware of the book, I'm aware of the movie, and I'm aware of the premise. Okay. You should probably watch this movie. It's a pretty incredible movie. I remember seeing it in the movie theaters with my friends when it came out. And I think I was kind of like, eh, about it back then. But over the years, it's kind of one of those movies, the more times you watch it. You know, some people think it's pretty problematic, but it's really a comedy. And I think, you know, Spencer obviously knows that and it comes through in the song so much. I love that you called it theater core, which makes sense. He called it theatricore or whatever. Totally. This band, you know, a lot of times when something in rock music is overproduced, I might tend to not like it. With them, I love it because I feel like they use the overproduction as an instrument, if that makes sense.
2: Yeah, there's parts of this that I go, okay, this sounds like someone's very angry and very serious. And then there's another part that... Yeah, they're kind of coming off as serious, but this is tongue-in-cheek, and you can feel that. This thing takes you on a ride. Uh, Ice Nine Kills is is one of the most interesting bands, to me, that's out there right now, just due to the fact of... uh, Take the musicianship away, which his band's incredible. Okay, Take the songwriting. I'm just speaking from a lyrical standpoint, Chris. He's speaking in first person, third person. There's other voices coming in. It's like... He, he takes you on a ride here and that's why I asked him too. like, how many of your fans do you think get it? Obviously, you got the super fans. They know everything. They know what his tattoo means and they know where he lives and they, you know, those, those types of just fans that are just, you know, rabid. But the average person, there's just so much here. And like you said, if you don't know the movie,
0: that, that's, that's a starting point. That's a reference point here. I like the band from a musical perspective, and I kind of like horror movies. I like some horror movies, but I have friends who are huge horror movie fans, and I can imagine that there are legions of Ice Nine Kills fans that are like, oh my god, this is so cool what this band does, how they focus lyrically on the themes of different horror movies and then make these crazy compositions, these songs that are just so fun to listen to. Like you said, Chris, they take you on such a ride. The music video for this song takes you on such a ride. Yes, it's a parody of American Psycho, but they... They knocked it out of the park.
2: Yeah, and it, it really sounds like the producer of this, Drew Falk, that they're just, he's like the the, the other part of their team at this point. Like, And it, the amount of fun that it sounds like they're having in the studio. You yes. know, again, this song was tracked in
0: the studio. There's no demo of it. And he said it just came out just effortlessly. It sounds like them teaming up with Drew is like the perfect marriage because it sounds like both sides aren't afraid to go over the top And just have fun, and nothing is off limits. And that has to be the most fun studio experience imaginable. I'm sure there's things that you've done, Chris. I know there's things that I've done, or someone has suggested in the studio, and then you second guessed it. You're like, no, that's too much. We can't do that. That doesn't. It doesn't sound real enough, or that doesn't sound like us enough. It sounds like. What he's saying is anything goes, and I just think that's so cool. Yeah, me too. It, and, and, you know, I, I was careful with my, my wording to him,
2: but you're taking a calculated risk with the, with the hip-to-be-square part in this song because the way that it is, it's way slower. It's, it's kind of cheesy. It's got the infomercial thing, but yet there's this underlying middle finger of the whole thing. You know, you can, you
0: can feel that angst with it, and it just it, it makes me smile. I love a part in a song that slaps you in the face. And what I mean is a part where you're like, what? What are they doing here? And a lot of times songs like that become hits. Songs where just something so crazy and ridiculous. I'm glad that he said, no, we're not taking this. What do you mean you want us to take this part out of the song? It is essential to the song. It's, you can't take it out. It's not the same song without it hmm. Well,
2: that and, and the choruses, those are kind of the three things. I mean, this Huey Lewis part is, is all over the place, but the rest of the song, it's just it's breakneck. It doesn't follow patterns, really. It's just but yet this composition of three minutes and 23 seconds there, there is something here that's solidified at the end. It does, it does make up something. I, as weird as that sounds, I, I don't know if I articulated that <laughs> correctly, but it's like this thing's all over the place, but somehow it's, it's one cohesive idea. If that makes sense,
0: you're right. It's that chorus. The chorus is the anchor. The chorus is the thing that keeps it being, being a, a song that you can really sing along to. That's catchy. That part, uh, really, just brings it all together. And yeah, that was a good point when you brought that up to him. And. Uh, Chris, it's crazy <laughs> they tour, they've been touring with Metallica. I know that's like you, you don't get any bigger than that, right no that's as, that's as big as it gets like I said that there are
2: generation Zeppelin Rolling Stones that's like a, a band in 1988 getting the call that, hey, you're opening for the stones at Gillette Stadium. It's like, what? you know it doesn't get any bigger they're, they're at the pinnacle um and they, they, they've been around going on 20 years now, this band they still seem fresh and new. Not many bands can do that and, and have it come across as genuine. I love that they're pushing boundaries. And I'm, I'm honestly, I'm very excited to see what their next project is, where, where Spencer's brain uh, takes a turn to go and, and what they come with up next. And um, I'll tell you what I want to come up with next, Chris. What's that? An idea for the
0: After Party podcast. Yeah. <laughs>
2: I want to come up with a better segue. My segues are terrible. Yours yeah. are always okay. great. Hey, hey, we have a thing. It's like Patreon, Chris. We call it supporting cast. Uh, head over to chrisdemakes.com and uh, you'll get bonus episodes. We call it the after party over there. Bonus episodes of Chris and I each week. We'll hit you with a bonus episode for the price of a apple juice at a cracker barrel. That's about it. I love
0: that reference point. <laughs> I would have never, you could have gave me a drink at a restaurant to say how much per month are, supporting cast is, I don't know how many takes it would have taken for me to pick apple juice at the cracker barrel is that because you have kids yes and they got an apple juice at the cracker okay. that's why I knew the price was 389 for so for okay. for, for another
2: dollar a uh, dollar what 21 uh, you can you can uh, help the podcast that you know and love and support us we would love that. ChrisDemakes.com. also give Chris and I a follow on Instagram I'm at less than Christie Chris is at Chris and something I never stand here Chris go give me a go give me a subscribe on YouTube go subscribe to my YouTube channel some fun stuff on there Chris is always putting up cool stuff over there and want to thank one of the nicest guys in the business and I don't throw around that term loosely Spencer Charnis for sitting in with us and we'll see you next week hey Chris uh, actually it's a dollar eleven more not a dollar twenty one
1: I'm an (laughs) idiot hey everybody Satan here I know what you're thinking Jesus Christ Satan has a podcast now too no, no, that's not it. But I am here to tell you about a podcast, and it's one that's all about my favorite band, Punchline. Not the band you expected me to say, right? You probably figured I'd like Slayer, or maybe some backwards Beatles records or something. Those are okay. But you usually find me rocking out to fan-favorite Punchline albums like Action or Lion, while I'm torturing dead people for all of eternity. <laughs> Punchline's podcast is called A Band Called Punchline, and it's super entertaining to listen to this documentary-style look back at the 25 years of my favorite band. Honestly, I'm really feeling like I'm getting to know these guys, and their story is amazing. I'm so ready for them to get down here. I have so many questions. I gotta give them credit for catching on to my whole 37 thing, too. There's a reason why they're my favorite band, and if you listen to their podcast, they might become yours, too. A Bandcom Punchline is available wherever you listen to podcasts. Check it out, and I'll see you all in hell.